Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay. nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or from some television show. The facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My description of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, Please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Thank you for joining and listening. Appreciate each and every one of you lifers. Real Life, Real Crime is rocketing, growing every day, and it's because of y'all liking and sharing us. I appreciate that. Stay tuned in today's episode, and you'll get to hear some updates on some things and some things that we have going on. But let's get to the episode, and the name of the episode is Hell or Jail. I don't really remember what year it was. I think it must have been like 2004. I was a detective with the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office, and people ask me all the time, I get the question all the time, how do you handle like the PTSD from all the bad shit that you've seen, right? And and I tell them that I, I really don't think about it. I guess I'm one of the ones that's blessed that can block things out. My way of dealing with it, it was by going hunting or fishing or whatever. And so stay with me. There's a reason I'm telling you this. But all the time when I was off, that's what I did. Hunted and fished. It, um, but I always did it with other cops. And, and I think when I started as, as a rookie cop, Brother Pete Charlay, who had been a cop forever, but he also runs Charlay Funeral Home in Zachary, he told me, he said, my one piece of advice to you is keep at least one friend that's not a cop. And I was like, why? And he said, because you need somebody that can keep you grounded on the outside of law enforcement. He said, because all cops end up hanging out with other cops because they're the only people that get them. And I didn't really catch that at this time, but uh, the years have gone by in my career, and uh, I had no friends but, but the guys that I work with, right, and the girls. 
that I work with. And so on our days off, we did everything together. We, we hung together. We, you know, worked whatever together. We hunted together. We fished together. We partied together. And this was no exception. And I can tell you the month was December, whatever year it was. The month was December because it was hunting season. And I knew that I got off that Friday and uh, I had planned to go up to Red River Wildlife Management Area, which was at the time they didn't have the new bridge built between St. Francisville and New Roads. So it took us like, it took me like, over three hours to get to this hunting spot. Now, what was there was uh, Brian Paul Smith, who's now the chief deputy, and Ben Bourgeois, who's now the chief of the detectives for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. They had a little camp on the outskirts of this management area, this hunting area. And we would go up there and do what we do, right? And I, I guess that's how my PTSD got released because we would go up there. I, I'd load my truck up. And with all the essentials, which is my firearm, a little bit of camouflage, and tons of beer, and my four-wheeler, and more beer, right? And, and so load up, take my time, drive up to the, uh, to the hunting camp, get there. Everybody's there. You unload your stuff and start drinking, right? And that's what we did. And we always had a fire couple of rules at the hunting camp. You're always, always going to have cold beer, and you're always going to have a great meal, right? Because uh, a lot of the guys I work with, you know, coonasses, and, then it, and y'all, coonass is not a derogatory term. That's what Cajuns call Cajuns. And, um, but everybody could cook something. So it, you get there, you start drinking, and you get around the fire, and you're telling the cop stories. And I guess that's what, how we decompress, right? And, you know, you drink through the night, and, at some point, you go to bed and you get up in the morning, you go hunting, come back from hunting, you get you some uh, leftover jambalaya from the night before or whatever was cooked, and then you take your little nap and you go hunt again in the evening. So it was a good time, and, and I'd taken off the whole week, and this was would have been right after the Toys for Tots or whatever Willie called it, the Christmas Crusade, after the presents were delivered, so probably the week before Christmas. And a bunch of us took off that week to go up there and spend the time and hunt, right? And no spouses, just the guys. So go up there, chilling, doing, been waiting on this week for however long. And we got the first night went by. uh, And then the second night, and, you know, like I said, we drank and ate good. I don't remember what it was. But the the next morning, now listen, this place is so rural. There's no cell phone reception at this camp. I mean, none. You had to drive like four miles to the levee and get up on top of the levee at the Red River levee to get reception. And I remember like before I was married back then, Brian Paul and I were up there and he had to call his wife. So we had to drive out to the levee in the evening time uh, after the hunt. And he was on the phone with his wife. It, uh, she's awesome. She was an awesome friend to me. She always treated me like family, but, you know, she didn't, she didn't cut me any slack, but he was on the phone with her and, and saying his good nights or whatever. And I said, Hey, you tell your wife, call my wife and tell her, um, I won't be calling her this evening while I wasn't married. And Brian's wife responded and said, Brian said, she said, if you had called your wife a few more times, you may still have one. Right. So, it, but anyway, no cell phone reception, but the pagers worked, And we always had to have our pagers on. Willie's rule was, 
you know, with the blood hit the ground and everybody gets called out, you got to come home no matter what, right? So the next morning after the hunt, the morning hunt, I get back to, to the camp and getting ready to get something to eat and my pager goes off and it's the radio room. It says 10 21, you're 42. 911. I'm like, what? And 1021 is call, y'all. And it's they were telling me to call my 42, which is my house, which means my wife at the time, in uh 911. I'm like, holy shit, right? So I know it's not good and it's gonna be bad. And, and I'm thinking somebody died or something, right? Uh uh, so I had to jump in my truck, haul ass down to the levee get up on top of the levee and we had the next tail phones back then that's how long ago it was the uh the flip next tails and i called and she, and she answered and she starts just reaming my ass <laughs> i screamed i'm like whoa 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 i said settle down you know tell me what's going on she said everybody in her neighborhood got robbed last night all this and da 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 you know all your neighbors got robbed and we look like idiots and in Nothing's getting done about it, and done it. get your ass home now and solve this case. And I'm like, what? I said, you let me make a phone call. And so I hung up because I want to listen to all that. And I called the radio room, and they were like, yeah, man, there's like been like 20 reports of vehicle burglaries on your street that happened last night. And I'm like, fuck. And and I said, who's the detectives? And it's that no detectives has been assigned yet because they're working a shit hot case, some type of rape or something. I don't remember what it was. She said, so uh, uniform patrol guys have been getting called out there as the neighbors would wake up through the day and realize their shit had been burglarized. Then they would call in to have the report made. Now on a big burglary like that, y'all, if a bunch of vehicles get hit, usually the detectives at some point, the uniform guys are calling the detectives out so they can start fingerprinting and shit like that. Uh, it rained that night. Uh, the night before, I remember that. But the detectives were busy on on a priority case. It was it was a rape case, and they were actively working it. So the, a uniform guy would go out and take a report from whoever the victim was. Then that victim may tell their neighbor to check their shit or whatever. And the uniform guys, a bunch of you, as uniform guys got dispatched out, they went. So a bunch of different guys went, and it, it got bigger as the day went along. So I called and. And I, you know, called back and and got another earful from my spouse at the time, and I was like, "Fuck, I gotta go home, right?" And so I go back to the camp, and I told them, I, you know, I got packing my shit up, and they're like, "Where are you going?" I said, "My my neighborhood got hit, and there's no detective work in the case because they're out on another case, and I gotta go home." You know, I, I mean, I'll never live it down from uh, my spouse. I mean, just we'll leave it at that the person hadn't been my spouse for many, many years. But anyway, so <laughs> I had to go home and, and I, I, there was a three hours. I had a bit of a hangover. It was a three hour ride, like a slow ride in the hill. I know I'm going to catch hell when I go through the door and no fault of mine. It was just the way it was back then in that relationship. And so I get there and I pull into my truck and yep, it starts immediately when I walk in the door. I'm like, what in the fuck do you want me to do? I said, I'm not Superman, motherfucker. I wasn't here last night. I said, I just drove three hours in and I'll see what I can do. And so I called in. Detective Steele were not available. 
and she had a list of her neighbors, which were her friends. Now, let me tell you about the street. It was Parham Avenue. I lived at 7917 Parham Avenue, third house on the right. And what reminded me of the story, y'all, was when I did the uh, episode on first of the month. That was Parham Avenue. And actually, the house that the guy was selling the dope out of that we that we raided was my next-door neighbor. But they, it wasn't the same people. Those people had sold and moved out. Now, Parham is what they call Hunstock West. Hunstock East was across 16, big neighborhood, lots of streets and all this shit, big houses. But Parham was a straight-line road, and you turned off of 16, and it went straight back. And just past my house, where we set up on on the first of the month I told you about, there's a cul-de-sac off to the right there. But you go to the end, and the Parham is probably three-quarters of a mile long, maybe a half mile, I don't know. It wasn't that long. And you go to the end, and there's a cul-de-sac on the back end. That's it. Houses, you know, like any neighborhood now, the new whatever neighborhoods, houses are pretty close together. All of them are nice homes. Very, very quiet street. Shit, I don't even think I had a house key to my house. I never locked my house. But on the way home, I, I, I was really shitting myself because I'm thinking, holy fuck, I wonder did I lock my, my unmarked unit because it must have been 2004 because I was still on the SWAT team or SRT team, and in my unmarked unit, I had my AR-15, my tactical shotgun, all my SWAT gear, and I'm thinking, fuck, but I didn't say that. I, but one of the first things I did when I got at home is made sure my unit was locked, right? So my shit was good. But Parham... Quiet. You didn't cut. You didn't turn on that street unless you had business on the street. Okay, great neighborhood, and we knew everybody. And and as a matter of fact, my ex's uh, office manager lived in the uh, at the back of the first cold sack right past my house. And shit, man, everybody got hit. Then I said, the second thing I checked was my spouse's SUV because. I knew she never locked it, and we had a pistol in there that her father had had given, and it was a Colt police special, an old, old, old revolver with the long barrel one. I'm talking about like from the 1930s or some shit. It was older and older and dirt. But I I went out there and checked it, and sure enough, that some bitch was gone, and and some change at the uh, uh, and a little bit of cash that she kept in the thing. I'm like, oh shit, now I gotta tell her. Yeah, that we got hit too, right? And so go in and, you know, tell her and 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 somebody else is calling. She's on the phone with another neighbor or the office manager, whoever. I go in. I'm not staying, trying to hang out in the house and listen to this bullshit. I got to take the bull by the horns. No detective's been assigned. Now it's, it's later in the evening, probably 2 o'clock, something like that. And so I went in and, and threw on some detective's clothes and put on my badge, my gun, and... and I, I jet out the door. I get in my unmarked unit, and I go down. I talk to a couple of the neighbors, and, and y'all, what I noticed was every complainant, every victim, had left their shit unlocked, right? And and but they had entered some people's sheds in their yards, like the uh, like some weed eaters were stolen, a chainsaw, and all the stuff that was stolen out of the vehicles, the stereos. There was another pistol that was stolen from somebody else. It was a newer nine millimeter. All the shit that was stolen was what? 
it wasn't secure, right? A lock keeps an honest man honest. Now, I know that nobody had cameras on the, they didn't have ring doorbells back then. Of course, I did look to see if anybody had cameras, but nobody had cameras. But I did not believe that somebody came in there in a vehicle and hit this long row uh, of homes. And now most of the, the most of the houses that were hit were on my side of the street. So it showed to me that, that the perpetrators, it was obviously more than one. And it was like 20 vehicles and, and sheds and shit like that. So it showed me it was obviously more than one perpetrator, but also they only took what they could carry, which means more than likely they didn't have a vehicle in there. All right. So also what time of the year is it? It's the holiday season. Who's out of school? Your kids, your teenagers and stuff like that. Right. And burglaries always went up around the holiday time to the, uh, you know, the addicts got to buy presents too. And, and, and people still shit and, so a lot of them steal it and, and, and trade it for dope. A lot of them steal it and sell it and, you know, buy Christmas presents. But so I'm riding around and I'm looking. And now on Parham, if you're riding towards the end of Parham, away from my house, away from Highway 16, on the left-hand side is a major road on, on the outside of the, the, the neighborhood. On the right-hand side where the two cul-de-sacs were, there's a big wooden fence that runs the whole backside of Hunstock West, whatever you want to call it, Parham Avenue. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to see if I, what I could shake up, right? So I go back out to 16, and I hang out. The, um, I, I, if they came in from that street side, the, there's nothing I could do. They could have parked the car wash down the street and came in, but I said, I want to start on my side of the street where the wooden fence was. And so go out to 16 and hang a left and then hang the first left. And I I forget the name of the road, the first left. And it goes back in there now behind Parham Avenue. And it was like back at the time, it was just a couple like track houses and and some trailers back there. And it kind of make a, made a circle. But when you turn on to it, now, I'm in an unmarked white Crown Vic, y'all, and it's obviously it's a cop car, right? And the, the lights are on the dash. So I, I turn in, and you come down to this little T, and I'm going from memory. You come down to this little T, but right in the middle of the T is a trailer that's facing me in the end, perpendicular, I guess you would call it, not horizontal. It's facing me, and there's like three big, mean-ass dogs chained up in the yard. It's the, there's no driveway. It's a dirt lot. And it's a shitty trailer, and standing out in the yard are two males, and and, and they weren't kids by any means. I mean, probably early twenties, uh, but they're standing out there smoking cigarettes, and I'm looking at them, and they're looking at me. And the first thing I see, they recognize the car as a as a probable cop car, right? And then they their eyes got kind of big, and then I'm like, oh shit, here we go. But they could just be dopers, you know. I didn't have anything solid to go on, so I rolled my window down and I made eye contact with them, and they never broke eye contact. Now the street goes around, and as I'm going around, and when I, I had to look back towards the road, broke the eye contact, they jet, they go inside the trailer. I'm like, oh shit, this is about to pick up, but I wasn't sure, and I didn't have shit to go on, right? So I made the loop. And it comes back around on the other side of that trailer. So I'm looking at it hard. I'm scoping it hard. 
and I'm looking, and they had light blue curtains in the window. I'll never forget it. And I saw the curtains move, and then they closed. So they were watching for me to come back around. Well, fuck yeah. Business is about to pick up, right? And this is not 50 yards from the, the back of the wooden fence on Parham. <laughs> so I didn't have shit to go on, and, and you know, I just was going to reach out there. Uh, I pulled into the little dirt yard. The dogs were chained in the, I guess they were not Rottweilers or Pitbulls. They were mean-ass dogs, but they had big chains on them, like fighting dogs they do in, in the country. And the dogs were, row, 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 row. And, but I made sure that I could walk up to the trailer where the dogs wouldn't get me. So I'd get out, and I'm walking up. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, first of all, for officer safety, or I'm, I'm, approaching, I'm approaching with tactics, right? I'm not just going to walk up and knock on the door and stand in front of the door because if these are the guys that hit the neighborhood, I know they have at least two firearms. And, and I don't know if they're third-strike felons, they want to shoot it out or whatever. They have what you call a kill zone. Right? And if you stand in front of the door, that's the fucking kill zone. So I walk up, single-wide, old-ass trailer, and I walk up, and I, I don't stand in front of the doors. It's cement steps, three steps. And I, I bang on the side trailer. I said, boom, boom, boom. I said, Sheriff's office, open the door. I want to talk to you. Nothing. Boom, boom, boom. Sheriff's office, open the door. I want to talk to you. Nothing. Now, I know they ain't gone anywhere. There were no vehicles in the yard to start with. I know they haven't gone anywhere. They hadn't been able to get out of the area. So what I did... And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I going to do, right? So I took out my next tail, and I made that cookie, that noise, and I said, 201-259, send me the SWAT team, uh, get me the detectives. Uh, I need a search warrant for this trailer one, whatever the, I can't remember the name of the street now, y'all. And uh, I need a search warrant for this trailer. I got barricaded suspects. Give me the SWAT team out here. We need to surround it. And, and it's a high dangerous situation. Uh, da, 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 da. I was making shit up right, but I knew they could hear me. I knew they were listening. And then the door opens, and the guy comes out and says, Wait, 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 man, what's, what's going on? It was one of the two that I had seen. But he shut the door right behind him as he came out. I said, What do you mean, what's going on? And he said, Why, why are you, you calling a SWAT team? I said, That's right, motherfucker. I'm calling a SWAT team. And, y'all, you know, I always talk to young guys. Never to start out high, I always start out low. But I didn't have anywhere to go but high on this one, right? And, and I really didn't have anything to go on but gut instinct. And I said, come down off them steps. And, and he came down, and I, I pushed him against the trailer. I patted him. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm Pat Frisky for officer safety. And uh, you don't got any firearms on you. I mean, I ain't got shit on me. And, and it, uh, I turned him around, let him go, and I said, and I got it right in his face. I said, motherfucker, you have screwed the fucking pooch. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you know what? Don't even say anything. You need to listen to me because what I'm telling, about to tell you is the most important shit you've ever heard in your entire fucking life. I said, I know what you did last night. I know what you homies and your crew did last night. Don't try. I'm not going to ask you a question about it. I'm here to tell you some cold, hard facts of how you fucked yourself. You have just shit in your nest, young man. I said, you're screwed. I, I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 19. I had his attention for sure, y'all. Now, I know this other asshole sitting in the trailer listening also. I, so I had to come up with some good shit. And I said, listen, 
you y'all hit all those vehicles in those sheds on Parham last night. I said, but he started saying something. No motherfucker, shut up. Listen to me. And I'm uh, I'm right in his face. I'm giving my I'm gonna kill you look right. And I'm uh, my crazy eyed look. And and I said, you fucked up. I said one of the vehicles that you hit was my shit. I said, but that's not even the problem. The the pistol that you got out of it, the revolver, because. You know what the fuck I'm talking about because it says police special on it and it's an old, old revolver. I said, but what you don't know is the story behind the revolver. And boy, his eyes are kind of big. I said, you have stolen a piece of American history. I said, do you know who the 28th president of the United States was? And he's like, oh, I said, no, I, I don't guess you fucking do. I said, his name was Woodrow Wilson. Y'all don't know, I don't know if that's the 28th president or not. I was making it up as I went along. I said, his name is Woodrow Wilson. I said, I am named after him. My name is Woodrow after him. I said, you know why? And he said, no, sir, why? I said, because that pistol saved the president's life. He was at Hotel Monteleon in New Orleans in a poker game in 1932. And one of the guys that he beat left the room and they thought he was going to get more money. But he came back in with a knife and he tried to stab the president. And my great-great-grandfather pulled that pistol out and shot him between the eyes and killed that motherfucker. And, and the, the president's life was saved by that pistol that you took out of my vehicle last night. That's a piece of national history, motherfucker, that you stole. And then you stole it from me. And I said, I want my motherfucking pistol back, and I want it back right this fucking second. And he was like, oh, and I said, no. I want it, and if you say anything other than you, that you have it, it's going to be hell or jail for you, son. And he was like, oh, and I said, no, where's my fucking pistol? And he, he said, well, if, if I get it back for you, am I going to get in trouble? I said, motherfucker, if you don't get it back for me, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. SWAT's team's on its way. We're going to roll in here. They're going to have to eliminate these big-ass dope dogs that you got in your yard. I said, have you ever seen a flashbang go off? We're going we're gonna to throw flashbangs to every one of these windows on this piece of shit trailer, and it's going to blow your windows out, probably blow the sides of your trailer out. I said, and they're not coming in armed to the teeth. Well, guess what? We know you got two pistols in there, and you, you might be holding one of them. So it's hell or jail. You going somewhere today, it's one of the two, hell or jail. So you're fucked no matter what because I know you got my shit and I want my pistol back. And I'm not promising you anything other than you're going somewhere today, hell or jail. What's it going to be, motherfucker? And, and you know, I was just all crazy up on him. And, and I said, you know what? Fuck that. I said, you've got two hours right now. That's about how long it takes to get a search warrant for this piece of shit. And I'm going to have somebody... Sitting at the end of the road, I'm going to have somebody in the bushes making sure y'all can't leave. And you've got two hours and your time starts right now. I said, and I'm coming back. And when I come back, it's hell or jail. I ain't playing fucking games with you, boy. You shit in your own nest. You fucking stole from me and you stole a national piece of national history. And I said, the FBI is going to have to get involved. This kid didn't know any better. He's about to cry. And uh, so I turned around. (laughs) I got my car. And I rolled the window down. I'm just giving him the stink eye the whole way, right? I'm back out, and I said, two hours. And I, I drove around his little circle, 
around like I did the first time when I saw him looking out the back window and I was going like two miles an hour, my window down. And he was just standing out there for like 15 minutes. And, uh, so and I told him and, yeah, about my third lap around it, he was still standing out there watching me. Right. I mean, he thinks I'm crazy. And I, and I hollered, you got, you got an hour. I mean, uh, you, you have, a hundred and five minutes, whatever I told him. Basically, your clock is running, motherfucker. What are you doing standing in your yard? And I'd give him my uh, my card and say, you call me when you get the pistol, and I want it, right? So I went, out, went around to Parham, and, but, man, by the time I could get to my driveway, my phone rings, and I answer it, and he's like, hey, hey, Hoss, what the hell are you doing? I, and it was Ken McMorris, the same one I told you we worked with doing all the dope jumping on Parham on um, the first of the month. And I'm like, I said, what do you mean, bro? And he said, bro, I just got a phone call from one of my CIs. And he said you were over there fucking threatening to kill him and blow his house up and everything else. And and, and he he said, I said, what was Tell me what he said. He said, he called me. He said, Mr. Ken. Mr. Ken, I need your help. He said, motherfucker was crying, Woody. And he said, I need your help. And he said, son, what's wrong? And, and uh, Ken told me, he said, I worked with this kid a lot in the past. They, they are, and I forgot to tell you all this, he had meth sores and stuff on him uh, when I was talking to him, right, on his face and stuff. So he was kind of tweaking. But he said he'd used him in the past as a CI. He called him up. He was crying. He was like, Mr. Ken, you got to help me. You got to help me. He said, you know a, a, a Detective Woodrow? He said, he said, Woody Overton? He said, yeah, yeah. And he said, he said, he was in my house and, 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 and uh, he said, I got his gun. He says, he's going to kill my dogs and blow my house up and, and uh, I'm going to hell or jail. Well, Mr. Ken, he said, he said, you got to help me. You got to help me. He said, well, he said, son, he said, you got that man's pistol? And, 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 and he said, the boy got quiet. He said, answer me. He said, let me tell you something. Woody Overton is fucking crazy. He said, I don't even go around the dude. He said, he went to your house and he knows you got his gun. You better give that motherfucker up because I'm telling you, there ain't no telling what that crazy motherfucker to do. He said, what you don't know about Woody Overton, he was off in the war, in the first Gulf War, and he got all messed up in the head from killing people and shit. So he, if you got his gun, you better give it the fuck up. And he's like, Mr. Ken, Mr. Ken. Can I give it to you? I don't want that dude coming back to my house. Can I give it to you? <laughs> and I started laughing. I was like, Ken, that's the gun my father-in-law gave me. And I made up a lie about the gun and, and all this. He, he, he said he told me some crazy shit about the pistol saved the president of the United States. And, he was, you know, he said it was, he was gibberish and going on and on. I'm like, dude, will you please go over there and get that shit? And he said, well, uh, and the kid was working narcotics at the time. And then he said, I'm going to get with the detectives and we'll go over there and, and see what's up. He said, I'll get you, you get your shit back for you. So I waited a while and Ken called me back later. He said, man, he said, I don't know what you did to that boy, but you had them some kind of shook up. He said that they ended up making three arrests. The boy got, gave my pistol back, the other pistol back. Uh, he said they recovered all kinds of stolen merchandise from the neighborhood. Not everything, because on a big burgers like that, trying to recover everything is like standing in the middle of a hurricane with a feather pillow and cutting it open and shaking all the feathers out and then trying to pick up each individual feather, right? 
some of it they would have taken and traded for dope that you know right away that night but he was able to get my farm back um a lot of the stuff that b- belonged in the neighborhood back car stereos and stuff they hadn't got rid of he said what do we arrest three of them and we got full confessions out of them i said look i didn't buy them miranda but i wasn't trying to question the motherfucker either i was just going on you know pure blind gut luck instinct you know and uh so they they got them and and they booked them in all of them were adults and they did it. I mean, they, they hit the neighborhood. They stole all the shit. We got the pistol back. Fast forward. You know what I did? I loaded my shit. I went back inside. I changed into my hunting clothes. I got back in my truck, and I went hunting for the rest of the week. Uh, the home life be damned, right? So had a good, great week hunting. Come back, uh, get to the courthouse. The, the very first thing uh, I do is look up and see what district attorney has been assigned case, and it was Greg Murphy. And I called him and said, hey, Greg, he said, man, I'm reading your, your shit got stolen, huh? And, and he said, but they were able to get it back. I said, yeah. I said, you, you do me a favor, please, and make an example out of these fuck sticks because, you know, my reputation is, and everybody in that neighborhood is a huge sheriff's office supporter and a huge DA supporter. Uh, he said, don't worry about it. And they ended up giving him 12, uh, he pled. There was no trial, no motion to suppress. I mean, the, the, uh, he pled to 12 years for the vehicle burglaries. Now, 12 years is a shitload of time for a vehicle burglary in the grand scheme of things. In the past, they would give them, like, probation or whatever. And so to give them to plead down to 12 years is, is uh, to, to plead to 12 years is a big deal. And uh, it wouldn't have happened had, you know, I not been involved. Fast forward, many years later, uh, I was with the state police. I'd been divorced from that person for a long time, and I get a phone call, and it's a probation parole officer that I knew and that, that I actually worked at Southeastern with before, and I'm not going to say his name. And he said, he said, Woody, he said, you got, you got robbed way back when at, at, on Parham Avenue. I said, yep, sure did. He said, he said, you remember the fella? I said, yep, sure did. He said, look. He's coming up for, for parole, and he said he's been a great inmate. He said he's got no write-ups. He made trustee, and basically once he got off the dope, he turned out to be a, a decent guy. And he said um, he's coming up for parole, but the shit has been flagged. They wanted me to call you and see if you have a problem with him getting paroled or, or do you want the parole board to deny him. And I said, I don't give a shit, man. And I said, uh, yeah, I've been going up from there for forever, like probably all, almost the whole time he's been incarcerated. And I think he'd done like five or six years. And I told him, I said, I don't care, dude. Tell him, uh, don't ever come around me again. And if he ever sees me again, you know, he better turn and go the other way before I see him. So, but he got out. And even getting out on paper, the 12 years, his sentence would have long been up by now before I told this story. So that's it. The, uh, not a great big drama story like last week and, you know, with the murder and, and the death of the baby and all that, but just a, a story that uh, when I did the first of the month, it reminded me of being on Parham when we got robbed that time and how I got lucky and scared the shit out of that dude uh, to crack the case. So, But anyway, I appreciate y'all. A little bit of more of a lighthearted story. I love and appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for listening and wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for a lifer, right? So 
patron members, you know, we love you and appreciate you. If you can't be a patron member, I ask that you just subscribe to us and like us and leave a, a review on iTunes and all that good podcast or stuff I'm supposed to say. Instagram, at Real Life Real Crime or at Overton Woody. I'm posting some funny stuff on there pretty much every day. Y'all check it out. Follow me on that. And we're about to start doing more videos for our YouTube channel. Check that out. The Courtney Coco case. We are in the same holding pattern. And I know people are like, COVID this, COVID that. I'm telling you, I have from a reliable source that COVID is the actual holdup because certain meetings can't take place. And I can't say any more about that. So it's, I'm telling you, it doesn't do any good to put more pressure on them right now or, or to bitch about it or complain because it, it cannot move forward at this time. But, but it is actually being worked, and that it is my 1,000% firm belief arrests are going to be made in that case. And to you, suspect one and suspect two, kiss my ass. I heard you were going to sue me. Get your lawyer and sue me. I would love to be able to tell everything that I know in civil court on Courtney Coco's case that I didn't get to put out on the podcast because I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize the investigation. I would love for you to just fucking see me, so go ahead and do it because uh, I know you listen, you little bitches. Miss um, Barbara Blunt's case, I am moving forward, okay? The, the, you don't know. Uh, I can't say everything, et cetera, but I think the next episode you hear from Real Life Real Crime will be a different angle on Miss Barbara Blunt's that I'm going to do the episode on, so get ready for it. It's got some real interesting stuff. But please share Miss Barbara Blunt's case. Uh, lay off the Coco. Lay off Alexander PD. They, they've done, done what they can do to this point, and it's moving forward. But y'all, Miss Barbara Blunt's case, I'm still getting tips. Every time y'all share it, the case, I get the tips. And I'm about to leave tonight to go to my place in the woods, and I'm going to sit down with that case file, and I'm not leaving, not getting done until I have the next like I have a lot of information. Let's put it like that. So just keep calling in your tips. Sheriff Ard is 1,000% committed to working on this case, and he has the resources on it. It is not a cold, it's not a frozen cold case anymore, okay, because of the lifers, because y'all care. And y'all, a lot of you send your tips, and you're like, oh, I, I feel stupid for sending this in bull. There is no stupid tip. Send in your tips. Every tip helps. You never know what's going to be the one tip that breaks the case wide open. So, and I appreciate you and just love y'all to death. Um, let's talk about LOPA, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, right? That, uh, that's my personal mission for real life, real crime. Lifers, if you haven't signed up, please go, and it'll be in the show notes, to the LOPA.org and sign up takes two minutes hey if you if you sign up take a, a screenshot of it and we'll post it in the crew right it's so important and that we we i did a podcast with them that's about to come out um in a couple weeks i think and i want y'all to listen to it when this this little five-month-old baby saved four lives her organs did and i've had other cases where organ donors uh we have lifers that are alive today right now one of them got a double lung transplant okay well guess what somebody had to die to get her those lungs right she wouldn't be breathing if it wasn't for it so there's a when you die 
they have a real strict guideline. It's not like they can go a week later or, I mean, they have a certain time frame. Actually, you still have to be alive. I'm not most technical savvy on it. We'll have the people on one day to explain it to you, but you you have to be alive, like brain dead, hooked up to the machine for them to go in and, and get the organs that they need to help these other people that are dying, that are, that are living on machines and waiting on these organs and shit, man. You're not going to care. You're going to be dead anyway. Right, they still got your body to bury. I mean, let them use it. And 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 there's there's some things that they do with tissue for studies and stuff like that. So it's just it's you want to be a hero. Life was a real hero. Go sign up for Lopa. Go sign up to be an organ donor and give the gift of life. Okay, give the gift of life. And I have a really moving story. Uh, Toby Tom play executive producers, one of his best friends, daughters died recently and, I, and her organs were able to go and help a bunch of people. But I want, I want Toby on. I want him to be able to tell that story. Uh, these are real people. These are real lives. And so be a hero. Go sign up at lopa.org or it'll be in the show notes. Go sign up. Be an organ donor. Be a hero. Save lives. Lifers save lives and i'm woody overton your host of real life real crime the podcast until next time forever don't let me catch you down on murder by you peace Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you by Woody Overton and executive producer Toby Tomplay.